Hey everyone, this is Anthony, Henry, and a special guest, Omar. Uh, we will be talking about COVID-19, and specifically with the topic of pain. I'll be illustrating some fight-or-flight responses, uh, nature versus nurture, and the difference between data and information. Henry, how are you doing today? Omar? Good, I'm, I'm doing great. Hi, Hi Anthony, Mark. thanks for having me, Henry. No problem. Um, Happy to have you. Let me give a, a little intro. Omar is a criminal lawyer. Um, his surname is Omar. Well, his first name's Omar. Surname's Drenat. Uh He's a prominent lawyer in Sydney. Uh, you can Google his name. Um, a very well um, articulated lawyer um, with excellent uh, expertise. So we decided to have him on our podcast today. Uh, because of his vast knowledge and experience, and especially in crime and some causes and causation of pain and what happens in situations when people um, end up um, putting themselves in a situation without taking into consideration the uh, stress or pain they've endured on themselves and others. So um, that's the reason why we brought Omar in this podcast. Um, yep. Uh, Anthony, I'll give it to you. Well, let's uh, define some some basic terms that everybody should already know. So, there's a lot of data being tossed around nowadays, and there's a difference between data and information that, seem, that people seem to not understand. So, data are the facts or details from which information is derived. Individual pieces of data are uh, rarely useful alone. For data to become information, data needs to be put into context. So what that means is essentially you need to aggregate data to even have a, the slightest bit of information. If not, uh, what you really have is just a set of points without connecting the dots. So um, that's the simplistic version of explaining the difference between data and information. Uh, next, we have uh, how nature is against the concept of nurture and in, evolu in evolutionary biology or Darwinian theory, whichever you wish to call it. So, when we talk about nature uh, versus nurture, we're essentially asking the question, do we get most of our behavior from our environment or from our genes or do we get it from our individual choices so the answer is essentially we get them from all three but for the sake of the argument I'm going to be just defining the three separate places where we generally get them from so the first one is the genetic material uh, the genome this gene the genome sequence uh, mainly is the part where nature is coming in and telling you this is your DNA uh, this is where, where you're comprised of uh, there are certain codons that are activated or not activated in your genome to allow you to have specific functions or not have specific functions including the, your genotype your phenotype uh, and well the, the, the genome sequence itself then you have the individual choices, which is based off the will of what you decide to do with your life. Um, that plays a big role. Uh, 
Uh, it's as simple as, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up or what do you want to be? Uh, what do you want to, where do you want to go? Uh, all these choices add up to who you are, uh, or at least part of it. Then you have the environment, which is essentially out of your control. The environment is something that is placed upon you and affects you, uh, down to the physical level because essentially there are a lot of, say, there's a lot of pollution in the environment. There's a lot of stress factors in the environment. There's a lot of external factors in the environment. That's, that's why it's basically called the environment. So these three dots together form essentially uh, who people are uh, as a person. So without further ado, I will lead into the flight or flight response mechanism. So the fight or flight response mechanism, and this obviously pertains to the fear aspect of what we're talking about is your body has two choices when it's when it's involved in any sort of stress response and that is flight or flight simply put flight is when you run away from your problems and fight is when you confront your problems when when you have either of these happen because of a stress response a number of things have happened to your body the first being your heart rate and blood pressure incre increases. The second being uh, you, you have pale or flushed skin. The third being you have a blunt pain response. Uh, it might be compromised. You have dilated pupils. You're on edge. Memory can be affected. You're tense or trembling. Um, your bladder might be affected. So it's not uncommon to lose uh, voluntary control of your bladder or even bowels when you're in a truly stressful situation, uh, especially situations like near death. So, uh, passing the buck, I'll give this one to either Henry or Omar, whoever wants to talk. Um, sure. All right, I'm gonna ask you, Omar, um, now what, uh, just so we can have a good understanding of why we have Omar on here is because what Anthony just did, uh, he gave you the uh, technicality of the biology of fear, um, behaviorism, um, the aspect of how one could be either positive or negative. Um, and according to psychology, Omar, fear is an emotion which is induced by perceived danger or threat or pain. So what I want to find out is... For example, um, I'll just give an example, fear of missing out, which an abbreviation acronym is FOMO. FOMO, FOMO is, for example, like the toilet paper example, uh, through this pandemic, um, it was headline news uh, all over the world, people running out to grab toilet paper because of fearing of missing out. And the realization of a person looking outward inwards watching the news and making a, 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 a um, impression of what they think, seeing people fighting each other because of toilet paper and having seen the human aspect of how one person or multiple people can be influenced by society 
because of a domino's effect, allowing the person not to see the actual aspect of reality um, and being sucked into like a vacuum. I'll, I'll call it a vacuum. Of illusion. Or, sure. Or, or, yeah, well, we can call it behaviorism, um, right. which is observable behavior. And, and then we can go to apparent conditioning, which is... Um, which is uh, stimulating uh, people to act a certain way. And let's example, say, uh, toilet paper that just got um, stacked on shelves and um, people rushing. It was a stim- what was the stimulus? Toilet paper. What was the reaction? People rushing to grab toilet paper. And then what happens as a result? Uh, humans interact uh um, humans interact um, um, uh, in a way that in a normal situation, normal circumstances would not do or act in that situation. So so what I want to find out from you, Omar, is uh, with your, your um, a, a really, uh, you're a famous, uh, I'm sure you've had an enormous amount of cases, you're all over Google, um, and from what you see right now in this pandemic, uh, what can you draw as a conclusion from the cases you've had in the history of you being a lawyer, uh, uh, with also having a lot of uh, psychiatric um, and psychologists involved with your clients in giving a, um, uh, an analysis of your client to the condition of why they became or why they acted um, so my question to you is, what can you um, bring to the table to the knowledge that you have and what you see with this pandemic? That's a very fitting subtop around the world. And I suppose fear really manifests itself in many ways, but from a, a, the third dimensional uh, way in which the world's looking at it, but particularly the world's looking at the population in Australia is they must perceive that we're all mad. And I suppose one way to look at it is, um, given the real-life examples we're seeing on TV and in the papers each day, uh, it's the fear of missing out on toilet paper, which occasions all the rush, which has now involved police being present in supermarkets to stop all the fiasco. So there's a great deal of psychological trauma that COVID-19 has had on everyday Australians and frankly, people that you would never have suspected to ever, uh, to use the expression, jump on the bandwagon, which is a real eye-opener for everyone. But in particular, The whole concept of panic and pain in the current pretext is interesting, even from where I sit and observe, because I've been uh, involved in really gruesome cases involving people who are frankly pretty ordinary, pretty unremarkable and come from normal walks of life. So there are 
they're the types of people that would be lining up at Coles and Woolworths every morning, picking up, you know, toilet paper and groceries and and um, panicking in the aisles. But in the current environment and in the current um, confines, it's a scary thing to watch. And you could draw on what you've seen from where I'm from and can't help but think that the community's gone mad and the reality of it all is uh, I think it leads to an inevitable conclusion that humanity is almost doomed forever from a psychological perspective. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would would agree. I would agree completely. Um, The panic that that is caused by it, I mean, I understand that it's a pandemic. Uh, I understand that a lot of people are going through a lot of pain. I understand that people are lacking in supplies, but these things will come to pass. There's there's factors involved. I mean, from from nature to nurture to the financial aspect of injecting, you know, six trillion dollars of liquidity from the United States government, for example. Uh, people are already extending their hands to help. It's just a matter of time before things get in order. Mitigation is obviously an sure. important uh, thing. Without mitigation, we have a, a very steep slope in terms of uh, how many deaths we can reach. Whereas when we have a hill, uh, it's, it's just it's something that we have to ride out and takes a low amount of time. So. Disagree. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. I, I kind of disagree, and this is where Omar needs to sort of um, either agree or disagree. But where I disagree is um, we kind of over uh, we we well we over uh, overestimate the the duration of how a bad mood, and also it underestimates our capacity to adapt. Uh, for a bounce back from trauma. Some people might be of a different view, Henry, and some people might say that, that um, I think you said overestimate. Some people might underestimate. So well, this the problem point. is, yeah, but the problem, the current problem is this. There, there are two camps. There, there's, not, there's no real middle camp. Um, you've got a camp saying, um, we're all screwed and um, get what you can get, um, take no prisoners. And then there are the optimists that say, hey, listen, the world's lived through the Spanish flu and survived it. And we'll um, be just fine. Standing many, many, many deaths. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the world went through Ebola and thank God it didn't hit the Western world. It also went through um, HIV and AIDS, and that was the big. That's a, a way bigger pandemic, and it's been through that. So that's another one. Except, except for the fact that HIV and AIDS are, I suppose, different in this respect. Well, they're sexually so they transmitted, but at the at the end of the day, a pandemic is a pandemic. When you have a virus with no vaccine, it tends to decrease population, no matter the transmission. But uh, I'll let you continue. Yeah, especially, especially when you had epidemiologists and the, the, the experts that um, interviewed on 60 Minutes, and they don't really help um, when, when they conclude by saying, it's, I don't know, it's really just a matter of time. And so to quote one of the ones that I saw on Sunday, he ended the session by saying, I don't know really what's going to happen. 
God help us. Well, this is okay. <laughs> right there, right. You just said is 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 the the, the, the defining the, the exact defining of stress because we um, develop stress. Everyone has a different level of stress, and when we define a threat or a challenge. We perceive it and respond to it depending on our ability to how much we can hold or withstand that stress. Now, imagine how many businesses out there have had to close shop, and for how long are they going to able to um, stay within sanity before that that bubble of sanity that it currently still contains in containment, but when it reaches to the point of it tipping over, what's going to happen then? This pandemic can also become a catastrophic hysteria disaster of, of its own rights. In a cycle, this is where nature and nurture comes in, which would what? Um, uh, I'll be describing it. I'll be describing it more in length in a second, but I'll let you finish. But, but nature and nurture um, is the environment that we're living in, causing a biological change as well. Because your neurons and synapses may get fired in a certain way under stress. And your DNA. Your chemicals and these chemicals, cortisol and adrenaline, once they're overstimulated, let's say your fear is overstimulated through media bombardment of negativity, deaths and chaos, businesses closing, walking into a shopping center, seeing it's a ghost town. It's just negative, negative, negative. Yeah, and... That's being over-publicized at the moment. Well, this is media obviously contributing to... Uh, Sensationalism media. as well. Well, media's not really helping other than the news being brought to you on the table as it is, what it is, the how facts. bad it is, yeah. and the facts of what they are. Now, how much of those are, are true versus false, that's a different story. But coming to... Yeah, sure, but you got to... Let's be, let's be realist. Coming into yeah. a criminal who has now convict, uh, who has um, who has uh, um, got into uh, a criminal act or fell into uh, an argument became a criminal act. Um, I mean, I'm sure you're going to be getting a lot of cases coming through this pandemic because of this isolation. Or you know, what about people living at homes that are um, you know, not a safe haven because um, there's always um, something like uh, whether it's um, abuse or um, sure. You know, well, can I tell you what's from well from the forefront? Well, let's, if I can call it the coalface. Um, in New South Wales, there has been a large number of people being fined or charged with offences involving either um, the threat of transmitting COVID-19. There have been, and there has been an influx of people being charged with having failed to have demonstrated a reasonable excuse as to why they haven't been home or why they're not home Mm -hmm. and why they're out. There have been police busting into people's homes, and I can tell you that yesterday, police in Victoria had um, raided a group 
um, young Asian women who were having a dinner party, um, of which there is about seven or eight people there. And so you're seeing a strange influx of what is now criminal activity. That was normal. As of as of two weeks ago, was fairly ordinary and normal human behaviour. And and this is scary because where do you draw the the line? We know that isolation is to save lives, but for how long and how long will this drag on and how long will this continue to cause a stress factor which will obviously uh, uh, cause a mental breakdown with many people, causing them not to think straight, to act sure. um, and, and cause um, to break the law? Well, the, 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 the federal government has invested very, very recently um, millions and millions of dollars into the development of uh, and management of mental health in Australia, and in particular, uh, numerous millions of dollars in relation to domestic violence, because they've come to a realization very quickly, and to their credit, that the effects of the current pandemic on mankind in Australia is real. Because the reality is the virus is real. And so the precautions that they put in place as a federal government are real. So the idea behind it is that the government, at least in Australia, have recognised the fact that this is going to have a catastrophic effect on the um, development of one's mental health and the management of it, one way or the other. So to that extent, they've recognised that there's going to be an influx of criminal behaviour. There's probably going to be an influx of domestic violence because of the stresses associated with people losing their jobs. And you've got to remember that people who are put in positions where they have lost their livelihood become vulnerable. Of course. Well, and a, a vulnerable person would, in circumstances where, you know, in circumstances where they don't really have an income, and I know that the federal government have done their very best, and to their credit, an, an amazing job, in my view, in in um, creating numerous stimulus stimulus packages to try and fix the the gaping hole in the economy. But that can only do so much. All right, I'm gonna well, I'm gonna take this chance. I'm gonna take this chance for a second to to ask Omar an important question while uh, also uh, saying some pretty obvious things that we've probably mentioned before in the podcast. Um, so let me start off with a couple of uh, facts so we get a basis of why humans act the way they do uh, as it relates to nature versus nurture, but more specifically. And Omar, then I'll be asking you a question and what you think about this. So Anthony, before you do, I just want to sure. carry on one, one topic, and, and that is post-traumatic uh, uh, stress syndrome or disorder. Sorry, post-traumatic uh, uh, stress disorder. PSTD, yeah. Um, because I can see this is where the pandemic is going. And this is a big chronic issue. Because as far as I know, and as far as from the knowledge that I can see, that what will happen is um, it will contain the virus. People will come back to a realisation that, 
things are going to come back to normal, however long it may be. It may be in a year, maybe two years, but can you imagine that chronic stress level now, which in this pandemic has caused it to now inflate um, mental health uh, as its own pandemic. And, and that's what I want Anthony to... All right, so this is where I'll come in with the biological research because, um, my God. So, um, starting off with biological researchers, guys, can only make statistical, model, statistical models to quantify uh, the effects of this pandemic. Not even, I'm not sure even God knows when this pandemic will end. The only thing that people can do is take populations, and the larger the sample size, the better, obviously, to quantify whether or not, in the worst case scenario or the best case scenario, when this will end, when the peak uh, death toll will occur, uh, how much will be infected or recovered. Uh, the vaccine also has a lot to do with it because you come out with a vaccine tomorrow and you'll see that this is no longer a problem. So. That's one thing. Um, secondly, is I want to talk about the spectrum of nature versus nurture because people need to understand the extent of what is going on in their own mind so that they don't cause mass hysteria and commit uh, acts of crime uh, due to trauma, PSTD, like Henry was mentioning, um, hysteria itself. And that's where I'm going to toss the buck back to uh, Omar because um, people will do very, very outlandish things when they're put into a box where they feel like they're trapped. So let me get through this um, nature versus nurture a little bit more in depth uh, in the behavioral sense so that I can pass it to Omar. So we have starting, you know, nature versus nurture. People like to think that it's just it's two things, right? But really it's a, it's a spectrum and it has a lot to do with psychology. So starting with nature, um, you have the biological approach, which is focusing on genetic, hormonal, or neurological, or neurochemical uh, explanations of behavior. Then you go on to uh, psychoanalysis, which is the innate drives of sex and aggression, nature, social upbringing during childhood, nurture. Um, in the middle, you have cognitive psychology, which is the innate mental structures such as uh, schemes, perceptions, and memory and constantly changed by the environment. Uh, as you can see, it's, it's starting to shift more to nurture. So humanism is uh, emphasized by physical needs. Society influences a person's self-concept. Then you end with behaviorism, which is all behavior is learned from the environment through conditioning. So that's the spectrum of how humans think in terms of psychology uh, when it pertains to nature versus nurture. Uh, along with the stimulus packages that uh, the governments are offering. Uh, I see the immediate relief and how that helps people that are in really, really bad shape. But the, the reality is that if you inflate a currency so much, I mean, if you, if you print so much of a currency, it's not backed by anything, essentially. I mean, not to get too deep into it, but there's not backed by gold, not backed by any precious metal. Uh, it's essentially backed by faith. Um, you're going to have inflation or hyperinflation, one of the two, and this will lead possibly to 
longer term consequences. So what I want to ask you, uh, Omar, is if you were to think of some sort of comprehensive way in which all of this, you know, from a short term, medium term, and then long term, assuming there's no vaccine, right, how these acts of hysteria, trauma, and uh, PSCD from the virus affecting their loved ones, uh, and then the relief that the governments are giving, and then the inflation that is probably to occur after, I'd like to know how you think that, that would affect uh, cases being shown up and in what style or manner they'll be dealt with because they're going to be very real indeed. You're going to be dealing with people's lives and uh, once hysteria hits, because it's not just trauma, once hysteria hits where people start rioting, if they do, right, because there's already been riots, I believe, in Italy, um, or if not Italy, then France, the idea is that people when they run out of stuff to eat, uh, they don't really care about the concept of money anymore. They just need to survive. So they will do what they need to do to survive. How do you think in the short term, uh, medium term and long term, short, short term being say next three months, uh, medium term being uh, about say nine months from now, and then long term being like two years from now, what do you think are the ramifications of the inflation that may occur and uh, the hysteria that's already on the brink of happening, essentially? Well, a moment ago I was just thinking about the after the after effects of Hurricane Katrina, where it's very quickly looting stores um, in an enormous panic. This is post the hurricane, which is completely different from a pandemic like COVID-19, because as we know, the hurricane had been over um, and people were looking and, you know, looking after themselves and ensuring they had things to eat and supplies. And so they took to looting the streets really rapidly. And we're in a different world altogether now. We're in a, we live in a, an environment and in a societies where there is a great deal of uncertainty, whichever way you look. And so that's taken at least a short-term effect on the way in which humans interact in terms of their uncertain ways. And when you start to contrast their behaviour over the last number of weeks, they've been active acts of defiance, they've been acts of desperation. You need to look at the unemployment lines at, um, at what we call here in Australia Centrelink, um, which effectively is um, the US's version of social security. And the lines that are backed outside the doors each and every single day since this occurred is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. So the real um, mindset of the average Australian person with a family, a mortgage, um, young children who are at school, the pressure is really on. And so let's assume that this is something that is really going to be not short-lived. And as we all know here and around the world, it's not short-lived and we're looking at an expectation that there might at least maybe 
some sort of relief by way of vaccine in or about June next year, then we're going to see significant struggles, mental health struggles. And as I know from me, and I'm in, I'm, you know, my business is really in the human condition. Um, you, are, not that I have, but I've got no doubt that I will start seeing um, people and clients really acting out um, in ways that I probably wouldn't have seen before. And the, the, the reality of it all is so sobering that um, you only really do need to look at, as you say, the riots in France uh, very recently to understand that they've been significantly affected in Europe, way more affected than we ever probably will be here in Australia. And um, so the idea behind it is that I've got no doubt in my mind, at least from where I stand, that there's going to be an influx of criminal activity. There might be a different sort of level of criminal activity because, as we know, there are all different classes of it. There's white-collar crime and there's organised crime. But it's interesting because as of a couple of weeks ago, there was there were two young Middle Eastern men who robbed two different supermarkets mm -hmm. in Western Sydney of about a pallet of toilet paper and they were armed so and there were threats to kill the shopkeepers and so uh, that was something that was real and so they were arrested in a very um sort of one of those spectacular early morning arrests while they were in their jocks and it was sort of funny at the time um and it was humorous just watching it we're not talking about yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're not talking, talking about, about diamonds or, or gold or silver we're, we're talking about toilet paper guys i mean yeah. uh and we're losing we're quickly losing the grasp of it all i mean look to be perfectly honest and i'm you know i'm, I'm you know i'm here putting my hand up i i sort of panicked myself and went wow i mean if everyone's doing this how how's my family going to get toilet paper you know, i've got four young children right and so um and you go well i better line up at you know, 6 a.m. at the local shopping centre, uh, but I didn't. Um, so it, that no doubt goes through everybody's mind. You know, I'd like to think that I'm a pretty rational person and sort of carefree. Well, to, to just um, instate exactly that situation, um, I had to um, get some toilet paper out of the car, out of the boot of my car, to send to my older parent, my parents that are elderly. And I was embarrassed to actually take the toilet paper yeah, there's out. there's a sense of shame. I felt shame because people yeah. were thinking, I was trying, I'm mostly thinking, what are people going to think of me holding toilet paper? Because it's interesting. Something so innocent and something so absolutely new. I mean, I would have, I, I felt like holding a sign to say, something for me. should be shown about. Yeah, it, I felt like holding a sign saying, it's not, it's not toilet paper for me, it's for my elderly parents that are 80 years old because they can't go to a shopping center but i feel embarrassed i felt embarrassed because of what it what is going on it's it's anyway i'll let you finish Wait, well to get, before before omar finishes just uh just uh some simple things guys um when when people are in survival mode uh 
don't don't feel embarrassed about anything you do because when you're in survival mode uh, caring about what other people think is not going to give you the best position to survive. I'm not telling you to hoard anything. I'm not telling you uh, anything of, the, uh, of, of that nature. But definitely don't care what people think when you're in survival mode because a lot of the reasons why people are suffering now is because they didn't take precaution before when there were early, uh, there were early symptoms or early cases of this virus. You know, people forget to realize or people fail to realize that before something becomes a pandemic it is an epidemic it starts in one country and then it ends up in a, ho a whole bunch of other countries until it's around the world that's what makes it a pandemic the second thing is people have lost their minds with the toilet paper uh i remember you know i'm cuban born i've said this on the podcast already uh people used to use diapers made out of cloth or use cloth to wipe their butts. It wasn't anything uh, very, very uh, strange. You could also use wash, you could just wash it with water and soap. It's not a crazy idea given the circumstances and especially considering how you should be doing it anyways. You know, what cleans more? Uh, toilet paper, some dry paper or uh, soap and water. So um, with that said, uh, those tickets for the simple gatherings of, uh, of leaving homes and stuff like that, if people are already getting tickets for, you know, having groups of, say, 10 people or more or whatever the, the stipulation may be in, in the penal code of where you're staying at now, how much more aggressive are law enforcers going to get when there are declarations of martial law or mass hysteria taking place, uh, you as a criminal uh, attorney or defense lawyer, you should know that once this hysteria hits, if it hits, that these things are only going to go up in scale. And how are people like you and your profession going to respond to such such measures? Like, what measures are you going to take uh, to help these people? Because it's gonna, it's I mean, it's gonna seem very very. It seems crazy to say now, but. If there is no vaccine uh, and there is no real progress and the treatments are the ones that we have right now, I mean, I see martial law coming into effect in less than two months, to be honest with you. Uh, and that doesn't, you know, that doesn't put me at ease at all. But here in Spain, for example, we've been on lockdown for, uh, I don't know, at least 30 days and we just got an additional 15. I'm sure the same thing happened in Australia. So I'm going to pass that back to Omar. Um, yeah. Well, um, I suppose to answer your question fairly, it would depend on the influx of infections. Luckily, here, overnight, um, the latest update was that they were increasing by a smaller margin now because of the whole social isolating process here. And so it's only, um, it's had a growth spurt of a reduction now of 2%, which is you know, fairly reasonable. But that's not to say that we should be complacent. But the reality is that notwithstanding the fact that, you know, the, the numbers have seemed to have gone down, um, I don't quite know how people like me and the criminal justice system are going to cope with the influx of work 
But I can tell you that court buildings have shut down. The Supreme Court in New South Wales has shut down. They've closed its doors. Cases are being conducted on video. Just yesterday, I was in a a murder where um, the trial has been set down for three months, commencing in July. And that case can't go ahead because jury trials have been suspended indefinitely. Wow. Uh, So a judge is now compelled to vacate trials, um, notwithstanding the fact that the the person in custody who enjoys the presumption of innocence has been in custody on remand waiting for a trial for two and a half years. Um, Tomorrow, I've got a bail application listed for two brothers who were charged with a drive-by shooting. Um, And amongst those two cases, there are another 65 people asking to be released. Um, The state government have implemented um, some legislation uh, a couple of weeks ago now that actually gives the power to what we call here the Commissioner of Corrective Services, which is the the boss of um, all the jails within our jurisdiction, to have the power to release inmates um, as long as they're not inmates who are serving sentences for murder or sexual Yeah, I've heard of of this. Yeah, on the basis that, you know, there's a, um, you know, they fit a whole bunch of different criteria and they're at the tail end of their sentence. Right. And they've got six months to go or so. So, I mean, the the government, um, from a justice point of view, have reacted in a way where they've recognised that there's going to be a real problem, a very, very, very big problem. Um, So they've taken measures to try and reduce the workload for lawyers like myself because they've just realised there's not going to be enough power manpower, that is, right, to cope with it all. Right. Which makes um, sense martial law. Sorry to interrupt, but it This is the same case in, in Spain. Spain, uh, Spain already... Well, there you go. I just now found out. Anyway, it's interesting. Yeah, so, you know, know, on my way to work each day, I drive drive past a couple of hotels, Mm -hmm. and um, uh, it's probably the same in many other countries where people that are getting... uh, I've gotten off uh, airplanes are um, uh, directed by the government to self-isolate under police guard yeah. for 14, at least 14 days. And so the sites in Sydney are real. I you mean, know, soon a, soon they're going to be uh, asking police to uh, make sure you're peeing when you go to the bathroom. And that's the type of... Uh, I'm not trying to make anybody afraid, but, you know, the way things are going, it's just... It's getting ridiculous because uh, monitoring is all right, but... When you start invading people's privacy, people get defensive. When people get defensive, they riot. When people riot, uh, it's basically 
it can cause mayhem. It can cause problems to the Justice Department. Uh, let's start off with the, the fact that you were mentioning that the courts themselves are already being strained. So right now we're at the tip of the iceberg, really. I mean, looking at this from a biological standpoint, we're not even really even anywhere close to this being done. So the butterfly effect of your court system or, you know, court systems around the world already feeling this impact will be devastating if uh, if this doesn't get under control. So I'm going to run some numbers by you and then I'm going to pass the buck to whoever wants to talk. Um, right now, as of right now, literally three minutes ago that I checked and did the math, there's 1,447, I mean, sorry, 1,447,471 active corona cases. These are the ones that are reported. Out of the deaths, there's 83,401 recovered, 309,105. Uh, so, in percentages, to make things a lot easier, I um, just wanted to say the numbers, but uh, in percentages, the recovery rate is at 21.36, which isn't that bad. Uh, it was better, I think, yesterday, but you know, I'll take what I can get, right? The death rate is at 5.76%. Uh, so that means that right now, the amount of people that have uh, an active coronavirus still, still, uh, still kicking, so to speak, is still about 75%. You know, a little bit, a little bit less than 75%, but that's how many cases that there's still left to deal with and since this is a pandemic this is not something that uh hasn't hit its its uh its peak for it to actually decline in the number of deaths especially in the number in the number of deaths but also the people who have recovered so i'm gonna leave whoever wants to i mean i really wanted to get the answer from you know what do you think the butterfly effect uh is going to be if if the court systems are already jammed uh, later down the line, I mean, what are they just going to break down, and how will that affect uh, law enforcement? How will that affect people? Yeah, well, our constitution, the Australian Constitution, provides that a trial by jury is one of the very few constitutional rights that defendants enjoy. Right. Much like the United States. Yeah, much like everywhere. Everywhere. And so you know that the government are really in a difficult position yeah. where they're enacting legislation to make it easier for defendants to be tried by a judge alone without a jury. Now, here in Australia, you can elect... That is, you can request to be tried by a judge alone, mm -hmm. provided that the prosecutor agrees and consents to it. And in the event the prosecutor doesn't consent to it, mm -hmm. you have to satisfy a judge that you deserve to be tried by a judge alone. As a result of COVID-19, the, the state government have now enacted legislation which provides a much more flexible framework for a judge to run a trial without a jury if 
and only if a defendant would consent to it. Now, not some people um, in certain cases may not want a, a judge to be um, the, the sole the sole uh, you know person yeah. to give a so, verdict. Yeah, and exactly. And so, I mean, I'm of the school of thought that I'd like to dance to a jury of 12 and perhaps <laughs> knock one over and get someone thinking about whether my client's guilty or innocent mm-hmm. as opposed to having it in the hands of hands and lap of a judge that I might know is a bit too too um, prosecutorial but um, you know things are becoming dire when the system is starting to having to resort to measures to enact legislation to keep the the um, system flowing as smoothly as you can. I mean, for example, yesterday in a murder, in what I mean, usually it takes five minutes to get up and say, "Doing that, I appear for the accused." Prosecutor gets up, and the other co-counsel get up. That's a five-minute sort of thing. It took one hour on video to get that far. Wow. Wow. And That's insane. The system kept That's dropping insane. out. We lost the prosecutor. The prosecutor had to hang up. Then the prosecutor had to dial in by phone. Imagine running a jury. Imagine running a trial like that. Imagine the, someone uh, facing the prospect of spending their, the rest of their natural life in jail <laughs> because of the current climate. That's, well, just, that's insane. where we're at. Judge, judge or prosecutor can get frustrated uh, in frustration, uh, irrational decisions, which is right of its own. And this is where mental health, this is what I'm saying about mental health, because it's not affecting only the average person or the lower class person. It is also affecting the upper class, which makes irrational decisions. And now we're going into chaos. And it's like, we're in a washing machine. Sure, but really, what do you expect to happen? I mean, how do you expect to stop people from um, from thinking the way they think when they're faced with the same news each and every single day? For example, I mean, you know, um, there are dedicated news channels to this. Uh, this is, I mean, they have really... Uh, look, let's face facts. Let's go back to very... Uh, basics it's a real problem from a health perspective so and we've got to recognize it's a real health problem and it is there's there's no question about we do that. from the but, look from the biological or the medical community we we understand perfectly uh what's going on in the sense of this is a pandemic this is something that spreads very rapidly that this is why we're calling for social isolation but when you look at you know your field omar it's very obvious that we don't want martial law. We don't want uh, a, you know, everybody pushes for speedy trials on purpose because they want to be judged and just like have it done and over with. If not, uh, cases would go on forever. People would be staying in jail just for the sake of staying in jail. There would be no real reason that they're they're being held there. Except the prisons have now become infected. Exactly, really? and then yeah, 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 man. What do you th- what do you th- what do you think is gonna happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pandemic. So that, that's why people are asking for bail, and yeah. they're saying, "I need to get bail because the prison officers have introduced the virus to the prison yeah. in our cell in 
absolutely that's what you that's really the definition of isolation when you're in a, a three by three cell for the best part of a number of days yeah. you're let out very sporadically that's and then all of a sudden you're you know what are you supposed that's, to do that's that's one degree to... that's one degree away from torture from what i understand that is uh literally one degree away from torture the only thing they're exactly. missing is uh you know not allowing them to piss uh eat or sleep you know it's literally one degree away from torture uh, you know they're, yeah they're it's a bit like guantanamo yeah so there are a lot of right agencies i mean with jail cells what about showers and having showers and going you know yeah sanitation is really important to begin with I mean, this is a real problem from you know a criminal justice perspective because um i mean for example the amount of people that flock to a courthouse each day in sydney called the downing center is humongous you have school children that come in and want to sit in criminal trials and just take a look that's all the building's now been shut the only people allowed in the building are the lawyers and the defendants yeah that's and it. it's come to a point where in some cases that i'm doing some sentence cases mm-hmm. um the clients are either appearing on video screen if they're not in jail or they're appearing in the same room as their lawyers. Imagine. But, you know, the, the question is, what does a judge do if he thinks the person deserves to go to jail? Does the person go to virtual jail? Um, there are there are big problems here, and I mean, no one's really thought them through because no one's really had the time to do it. And well, it's the it's the scope problems. of this, you guys. Like, you have to understand that you know the the legislation is very fancy and uh, martial law and all that stuff, but. We're dealing with something that you cannot see, something that you cannot, you don't have a vaccine for it. So, really, to understand the scope of this, the only way that you can understand the scope of this is over time. There's no way that you can predict. You can make models and you can try to predict where this will land, but the scope of this cannot be understood until it plays out, until we have vaccines, until we have proper treatments that work. Uh, I don't see it making any gigantic leaps until the the you know my the people in my field or in the the medical field the doctors uh, I mean they're working tireless, tirelessly and they're getting infected themselves just to save other people's lives um, until they make some grand discoveries or find a vaccine that is uh, cheap and accessible and be like able to be given to everybody around the world it's going to be very hard to slow the curve of this without uh using just pure mitigation Omar, so to basically close this podcast and ask you a question on advice that you give the general public what advice do you give them in this pandemic and the best advice that you can think of don't be complacent don't be complacent. Listen to the advice from the medical experts. They're experts for a reason, and they've imposed certain conditions on us for very, very good reasons. The moment that we start being uh, um, heroic or acting out uh, is the moment that we can all see that there would be absolute pandemonium that none of us need. It's absolutely essential that we listen and we are 
honest with one another because um, we really won't be able to get through this unless we are honest and respectful. Because at the end of the day, the only people that will lose is every single one of us and the people that you love. So ultimately, uh, there is absolutely... It's it's not metaphysics. It's 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 it matters of common sense. This is concrete. Stay clean. Yeah. So stay clean. So, Respect each other. So let me uh, end this with some simple sanitation advice to everybody who's listening. If you haven't yet heard, it's pretty simple. Um, you guys need to wash your hands for at least twenty seconds. If you're not, if not more, uh, you got to make sure you scrub under your fingernails. Got to make sure you get the thumb, the wrist, uh, in between your fingers. Make sure it's an extensive wash. Uh, when it comes to uh, your bum, when it comes to your butt, you got to wash it because fecal matter has that can transmit this virus as well. And anytime that you put your your hand on a doorknob, you don't know what's been there. You don't know to what extent you can really get messed up by this thing. Uh, another one would be make sure that you're very, very aware of the symptoms because if you're asymptomatic, you still have a, have a chance of having, uh, this virus. But if you're symptomatic, you need to be, um, very cautious and go to the hospital, even if it means, uh, subjecting yourself to their treatments and having a bad time. Uh, the reason why people are even having such bad well one of the reasons why people are having such bad effects is because they're too proud to go to the hospital even when they display symptoms and what they do is they end up actually transmitting this virus to their loved ones and it's kind of this misery where you can actually have people that you love die around you because you just simply didn't report symptoms to uh to the to the hospital or get proper treatment which there are treatments now uh, uh, you know we covered it in the last one just to wrap it up really really quickly um, there was plasma there's the plasma uh, therapy there is the um, that dual medication that is uh, azithromycin and hydro um, what is it again hydroxychloroquine. yeah hydro, uh, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin um, they got the plasma therapy, um, and then they are, they're working on a vaccine, but still don't have anything. There's also nanotechnology that's being developed by the Chinese, but from what I understand, it's not been deployed, so we can't really rely on that. So with that said, if anybody has any final thoughts about it, we have about a minute left, so we can sign yeah, off. I'd like to say uh, to Omar, I'd like to invite you again on this podcast. I really enjoyed your company. It was really great to have you, just to have some professional lawyer to come and give his thoughts on the pandemic. I think it's exciting to have someone like that. We'll have you on the, the show next it's time. A pleasure. I want you to have, uh, we'll, we'll, we should bring you back for a positive uh, twist yeah, to the uh, pandemic. When, yeah, when, I'll, when I'll, things get better, we can have Omar back for a follow-up. <laughs> but uh, for now, <laughs> let's just take it his, his advice and, uh, and our own advice and stay safe. Uh, and guys, just really uh sanitize yourself make sure that if you don't have hand sanitizer that you're washing yourself properly that way you're not spreading and you're not receiving the the virus itself so uh, we'll be signing off here and until the next time this is worlds apart later everybody
Later. Thank you.